Hello, I'm Tracy Ramos, and welcome back to Booze Nation, the podcast. Booze Nation, the podcast can be found on the socials of Instagram and Twitter. It can be heard on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. It's February, and we are in Black History Month, and technically still in a pandemic. So wear a mask and get vaxxed. Thanks. Like I just said, we are in Black History Month, and I want to give a shout out to one of the first renowned African-American bartenders, Tom Bullock. Unfortunately, not much is known about Tom's early life. He was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and is thought to have been the son of a former slave and Union soldier. Uh, He bartended in the St. Louis Country Club, which sounds super fancy, and that's where his reputation as a bartender started and where it grew and where he built his clientele. And Tom is responsible for about 150 to 160 cocktail recipes, which is a lot. And he wrote a guidebook that contains these recipes called The Ideal Bartender, which was published in 1917. The book has now been republished and is somewhat available. Um, It's not readily available, but somewhat. I've started to see a few copies here and there. People have posted that they've been able to get their hands on his book. So thank you, Tom, for your contribution to the bartending world. And keeping with Black History Month, my next guest is also Black, and she's my first international guest, Bonnie Owesu. We met when Bonnie lived in San Francisco. We both worked at this restaurant and bar in the Mission. And if you've been following my Instagram account, you know I've posted about people throwing up and rats and falling down while we're working. And this restaurant was disgusting. And it was none other than Cha-Cha-Cha in the Mission. Yes, Uh, Cha-Cha-Cha and the Mission is no longer there, Um, but I do want to make sure everyone knows that I am talking about Mission Cha-Cha-Cha and not Hate Street Cha-Cha-Cha. I don't know what happened on the hate. I don't know anything about cleanliness or not. I just want people to know that, yeah, Cha-Cha-Cha and the Mission is the one that I'm talking about, and that one was disgusting. Um, Even though it was so disgusting, I met a lot of great people, and I am really grateful for that, and Bonnie was one of them. And Bonnie's back in London, and I haven't seen her in so long, so it was just great to do this interview and see her. And as per usual, we're going to jump right into it, and I hope you don't have a queasy stomach. Good luck. How are you? I am really good. Good morning, by the way. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good evening, right? Yeah, good evening. What did you do yesterday? Did you do anything for Valentine's? Yeah, I don't really celebrate that holiday. It's so funny. It was like really tricky for me growing up. And then when I got older and I was with Casey, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. But yeah, I remember one year and we were so in love at that time. And it hit, you know, Valentine's Day. And he was like, do you want anything? And I was like, no, it's such a like cheesy holiday. And he was like, yeah, I agree. But at the end of the evening, he bought me a mushroom, chocolate chocolate love heart mushroom, which was really sweet. So I enjoy getting the gifts, but I don't really celebrate the holiday, no. Yeah, I agree. The gifts are good. Chocolate's always good. Yeah, especially a mushroom. So you moved back in 2019. I'm in London, yeah. So I moved back. When I moved back, I moved in with my mom. So I was living in New York at the time and was just really struggling financially with my roommate situation. Work was inconsistent. So I planned to move back May of that year. So May of 2019. But the restaurant I worked in at the time had 
like there were a bunch of issues with the changeover of management and the old owner that was kind of a scandal had sold the business at a really cheap rate but had not told the new owners that there was all these like debt debts from like producers and stuff like food producers and wine producers and stuff like that so typical oh my god yeah so by the time they had like you know added all the debt together and the price they had bought the restaurant for it was like way over like market value or whatever you want to call it and so they kind of just didn't open one day you know it was like still in the old owner's name but kind of in the process of being transitioned over into their name and yeah it was right before thanksgiving and i remember they were just like yeah we're going to close for renovations and they just never reopened so we were all kind of left hanging and jobless and you know it's right before the holidays you know so it it was a terrible time and i was like you know what i was planning on leaving in may anyway i'm just going to leave you know in february and what prompted that was i was like if i can find another job now then i'll stay on until may but the chances of me finding a job right before before Thanksgiving was just near to impossible, you know, because that's when a lot of restaurants have hired for the holiday season, you know, and then it's slow January, February. So, yeah, I tried and, you know, I gave myself a deadline. I think it was like mid-January. And yeah, I was just like, I just booked a ticket. I was just like, I'm going, you know, it just is not meant to be. So I remember that I was thinking about going to New York before you left, like, we were going back and forth about like a weekend and I was trying to get time off to let go for like two days, you know, like enjoy like your last hurrah in, in the States. Uh, it was always like that to be fair in New York, whether it was like me trying to complete my degree or like me having issues with my, with my bosses. I think I may have mentioned to you at the time I had several bosses that had stolen tips from me and other servers. So I was like, I was just kind of sick of that conflict all the time. You know, one girl I met who would move from San Francisco as well shortly after I did, she had the sense to leave right away. You know, I stuck it out for nine years, but she left after a few months. She moved to Philly, but she was like, I'm sick of fighting for what's rightfully mine. And I, I just, that couldn't be a truer statement, you know? I'm sorry, were you in New York for nine years? Yeah. <laughs> Some might say nine years too long, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's just back up a little bit because you and I met at Cha Cha Cha. Mm -hmm. And how, when did you move to San Francisco? I moved to San Francisco November of 1998. And yeah, looking back now, that is a long time ago. And I was just 21 at the time. And yeah, didn't really, wasn't really thinking that far ahead. I was just like, I'm just going to move there and see what happens. You know, you don't plan when you're 21. Exactly. You're just living week to week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. So yeah, because you were in San Francisco. We met when we were working at Cha 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 and you were living lower hate. Mm -hmm. Had you lived other places in San Francisco or were you just always in lower hate? Actually, I think by that point, I'd lived in two other places. So I'd lived in a hostel off of Folsom Street for nine months. I lived and worked there. That was horrid. But that's actually where I met most of my friends. So I don't regret that time there. But yeah, I was there for nine months. And then I moved to the mission area for like maybe six months. And then, yeah, lower hate. Oh, my God. I, I lived and worked in a, in a hostel, too, in Europe. 
but I know what you mean about horrid conditions. Oh my God, so bad. Oh, yeah. some of them can be so bad. I, sh I shouldn't say all of them. And then when you were in San Francisco, I remember you were dancing because I remember we went to go see you perform. How many dance troops were you in? That's so funny because people have said to me, like over the years, I remember seeing you perform and I was like, I let you come to one of my shows because I think towards the end, I got very self-conscious and very shy about, you know, my dancing and my artwork and stuff. But um, yeah, so I started dancing right after Casey and I broke up. So it would have been maybe 2005 or six. And I was in how many dance troops? I was in probably three three that I was in full time and then I was in a couple of others part time meaning like I would do a cameo or I'd rehearse with them for maybe one or two pieces but I wasn't like a full time company member that was so cool really quickly I was thinking about this and laughing do you remember when we were working at cha-cha-cha right it's super busy and I ate shit in front of that table I fell <laughs> You saved yourself really well, though. You fell on your knees. I remember that. And you had a plate in each hand. And I was just like, good save. <laughs> you did it so gracefully. I got up and you and Deirdre were laughing so hard. You guys were just like howling. It was. <laughs> yeah, I totally did a major shift from that table. Because I think as a waitress as well, there's all these like conditions, right? There's like people running around, around you, you know what I mean? Bumping into you, customers, other staff members. And it was such a high volume place. We were always like trying to get the orders in and bring out the food and get them out of their seats as fast as possible. So we were always doing too much, you know? So the fact that, you know, we would fall over and stuff all the time was just like nothing towards the end because it was like... To be expected, we were working in crazy conditions. There was, you know, water on the floor or beer on the floor or sometimes other stuff on the floor. You know, <laughs> on the floor. So you, you were always trying to avoid that or maybe slipping a little bit and trying to save yourself. So it was, it was, like, it was an obstacle course. Yeah, for sure. That's a good way of describing it. An obstacle course. <laughs> Especially at that place. Yeah. I'd gone back to San Francisco. I was living in New York, obviously, at the time. Gone back to San Francisco and gone in there with Clouda and Deirdre uh -huh. and had eaten them. And I remember just being amazed at the prices because I'm not sure how much the pictures of Sangria were, the large ones, that is, how much they were when you were there. But they were like $17, $18 when we were there. Uh -huh. And then they were like double the price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like $35 now, or probably more. Yeah, $35 for that Franzia winery, you know, boxed red wine and sugar. Ugh. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff told me it cost them something like under $2 to make. Yeah, all those huge monsters of ats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I'm, I'm shivering. I can, I can just smell that right now, like standing over and ladling that pitcher out and all those fruit and the grapes. Ugh. Can I tell you a gross story? I mean, you can always edit yes. it out. I want, I want more gross stories. <laughs> I just remember how, like, because it was so sweet and it kind of, like, <laughs> it tasted good, right? But after maybe four or five glasses, you started to feel a little, you know, not right, quite <laughs> right on it. 
and the amount of people that would just throw up at the table like I remember seeing people puking into pictures at the table and I think the worst thing I ever saw was this guy running down because remember where the front door was and where the bathrooms were yes just running down the aisle puking like this pink reddish puke you know from the sangria all the way down from the front kind of the front door area all the way to the toilet and I was just like oh my god this stuff is so toxic but we <laughs> make such a profit from it we couldn't could not not sell it you know you know how like some bars won't do Long Island iced teas because oh yeah because they're disgusting yeah and people just get too hammered on them and do stuff like that we should have stopped selling sangria for that reason but they made such a profit off of it you know <laughs> people, gonna do that. people threw up all the time because <laughs> they didn't know how drunk they were getting either and it was so cheap and sweet and you know before they knew it they were just puking into a pitcher or <laughs> in the bathroom or or wherever they could make it yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> somehow I forgot about that somehow I blocked I blocked that part out <laughs> I wonder why you know what I didn't block out though where the rats <gasps> oh my god I was just telling somebody a story about that the other day yeah so I remember oh Osman do you remember Osman yeah. the tour bus boy I remember him us being by table five you know that booth I don't know if you remember the booth right before the big long one and he just, his eyes widened and his jaw dropped and he was looking up and I was taking an order at the time. And I was like, what is he looking at? And I looked up and I saw this huge rat scaling the walls. <laughs> did you not? I did not know rats could climb walls. I had no idea. And I, if I hadn't seen it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. But yeah, there was a huge rat problem there. And cockroach. Problem oh there. my God. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, cockroach. I remember the one girl that a live cockroach crawled into her plate while she was eating. <laughs> remember we had a cockroach void button? Like, <laughs> like, had a cockroach void button because it happened so much. Yeah. There was one girl, oh my god, they were actually a couple and they were actually really sweet. They were sitting on the other side of table five. So remember, mm -hmm. I think it was like maybe 12 through 18 or whatever. And then we're having this romantic dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and then like they call me over and they're really discreet and sweet. And I'm like, what? And they just point to a cockroach that's crawling around the rim of their small pitcher of sangria. And I just scoop it up and I just bring them another one and I'm super apologetic. And I think I even said like, that's on the house, you know what I mean? Cause they had just started drinking it. And right. just the way they reacted was just so sweet. So I was just like, here you go, it's on the house. And then the next thing, you know, they were sitting at the bar and I was like, what is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> the guy was, a cockroach just flew into my girlfriend's face. <laughs> He's like, the we're leaving immediately and I just I was like I had no words I just there were no words I just apologized I think I comped as much as I could and then gave them like the bill and they just ran out of that <laughs> uh, to this day 
I'm not sure why it was so filthy because I know they had professional cleaners every night, right? No, they didn't. That's one of they the reasons. No, that's one of the reasons <laughs> that place was such a mess. They didn't have professional cleaners come in at night. That only happened until much, much, much later. Oh, that they had people come in and clean. But when when I started, they didn't have cleaners come in. That only started later. Oh my when, god! And by that time, it's almost a little too late. Yeah, they've already like played <laughs> the restaurant as their home or whatever. Or oh, they occupied. They were they occupied that space for sure. Yeah. By the way, I'm not editing any of this out. It's all going in. Amazing. (laughs) I think the dirtier, the better. Hell yeah, keep it gritty. Today's episode is brought to you by Descript. When I started this podcast, I had no idea about the editing process, and it took me forever to edit one episode. And then I discovered Descript. Descript is an all-in-one audio and video editor that makes editing as easy as a Word doc. Upload media or record directly in Descript to instantly transcribe your file into text. Then tweak the text to directly edit your media clips. Edit out filler words and silent gaps with a single click. Record your screen and webcam for presentations and video messages and edit out mistakes before publishing. Use pro editing features such as non-destructive multi-track editing, live collaboration, auto captioning, exports, and much more. I'll have a link in the show notes and you can try it out now. So, okay, so you're back in Europe, you're back in the UK because you left the States and you went to Paris right because you were visiting and what was that like so I had this grand idea that I was going to do South and Central America before I left but it just worked out so cost inefficient if that's the right word so it was just better for me to just go somewhere where I was going where I was traveling on my way home if that makes sense and Paris between Paris and London is like a very short trip on the Eurostar Paris was phenomenal. I love Paris. It was my first time there. And I stayed in this great Airbnb on the outskirts of the city with this woman who was a, she was a dancer actually. And I just happened to find her like randomly. I didn't know that she had studied dance or was on this board of dancers. So she really made my trip. She took me to a show. She told me about some great dance studios in Paris I wouldn't have otherwise have found. She told me about some cool touristy sites that weren't really on the map. So yeah, it was great all in all. Yeah. Wow, that's so good to hear. That's awesome. And then that focuses up to like March 2020, Mm. right? Yeah. And I was looking back through some of our texts, our our messaging, and we were talking like March 18th, 2020, you and I are talking and it's just like, San Francisco had gone to lockdown. London really hadn't gone to lockdown. Then our next texts are like, you got sick and then I got sick. Mm. And I think that I got COVID. I think I got OG COVID. I just didn't know it. Oh, I definitely did. I had I had the symptoms. I had the fever. I had the dry cough, the achy bones, everything that comes along with the fever. I definitely had COVID, even though tests weren't available at that time. I just knew I had it from the symptoms that I'd been told about, you know. And so then what what did happen March 2020 in London? Wow, it was, I want to preface it with this. It was probably 
the best time of my life, actually, for me. Isn't that crazy? But I'll get to that later. So basically, Boris Johnson was the prime minister at the time. He did not want to do a lockdown. He was recorded saying, let the bodies pile high. You know, <laughs> they did not. Yeah, they did not want to shut down anything. They, they wanted the economy to keep going. And then it got to a point where the NHS, so that's our national health system, was so overwhelmed that they had to do a lockdown. Like doctors and nurses were begging the government to do a lockdown. They were like, we're overwhelmed. We can't cope with the masses of cases of COVID that are coming in. So I remember I was working, well, I still work at this bar. I was working that weekend, the weekend before we did the official lockdown. And our bosses said, look, we're closing as of from tomorrow. I think it was like a Friday. And they're like, we're closing as from closing as of from tomorrow. We don't want to risk anything because obviously working in a high volume bar, you're more exposed to getting COVID. We're going to pay everybody for this weekend. And then we're going to see what the government says about an official lockdown. And then sure enough, that following weekend, they did an official lockdown. I think for the most part, like people complied with the rules. You know what I mean? There were a few anti-maskers, but for the most part, everybody was like orderly and, you know, did what they were told. So it was, it was, it was fine. It was manageable. Yeah. So when you went into lockdown, what could you do? Could you like go to a grocery store? Cause like in San Francisco, it was very limited. Like you could go to the grocery store. They had lines outside cause they were only allowing a certain amount of people in, you know, you had to be masked. Did something like that happen? Yeah, it was pretty much the same. So when it came to like, you know, corner stores and bodegas, we call ours corner stores, yours are like bodegas, right? There were only two to three people allowed in at a time. And then when it came to grocery stores, yeah, they were doing the same thing where there was only a certain amount of people allowed in at the same time. You had to be masked unless you could prove you're exempt. Yeah, pretty much the same as it was there. You were at some point, but this was, I think, much later, allowed to meet in groups of six, no more, outside. So if you were like at the park, for example, you could meet with your friends, had to be no bigger than a group of six. So you had to make sure you were social distancing. Yeah, you had to keep a distance, but... Yeah, a few of us broke the rules. I mean, we weren't supposed to go to each other's houses, but a few of us did that. Yeah, there were a few people that got caught breaking the rules and were heavily fined. But I think as long as you weren't obnoxious, like having a house party, there was a few people caught having a house party during COVID. And it's like, I know you're bored, you know, and I know you want to have a few friends over, but these house parties were like underground house parties with a DJ and there were a few, <laughs> that's not mellow right and there was a few hundred people there you know and it's noisy and people neighbors were obviously complaining like you know I think there's a party going on there we hear loud music and a lot of voices so they weren't exactly being you know kind of sly about it they were just kind of like you know out in the open about it so yeah so there were there were people like that that got caught and got fined and stuff but then there was this whole scandal with Boris as well, Boris Johnson, that is the prime minister, how he had a party during lockdown at 10 Downing Street. Apparently it was a surprise birthday party. For him? Yes. Oh, God. I think I, I can't recall the number of people that were there, but it was definitely, it definitely exceeded the amount of people that should have been in one space. 
and <clears throat> he denied it. He was like, oh, it didn't happen. And then all these pictures came out of him at this party, you know, <laughs> and it resulted in one of the reasons he ended up having to stand down. You know, he had told a bunch of lies. That wasn't, I think the last reason was he had, it had something to do with a sex scandal. It didn't involve him, it involved a colleague. So that was the reason he stood down in the end, but that contributed to it, definitely. The fact that he'd had this party and lied about it, you know. He's a mess. He's a hot mess. God. And you know, the sad thing about it all is he was like, you know, standing there, trying to lead the country, telling us we should like, you know, social distance and, you know, it's really hard and like not to be around our friends and family. But there were people who actually had loved ones that were dying in hospital that they couldn't go and see and say goodbye to. And there was this one woman, she was like, my 21 year old daughter died. And I couldn't be by her side while she was dying because Boris Johnson told me we weren't allowed in the hospital, you know, because we were putting other people at risk. We were breaking social distancing rules. But then he's having a party, you know, it's just kind of a slap in the face. I want to say, yeah, most people followed the rules in public, but, you know, people broke the rules here and there. Just, you know, like I said, my friends and I hung out, but we weren't having raves or anything like that we would just you know hang out in small groups or whatever you know you're in London did you see anything like outside of London the rest of the UK the rest of England about the anti-masks or the anti-maskers because there was like a huge contention here in the states I mean doctors and nurses were getting threatened oh my god like by the government no by asshole anti-vaxxers that were like, it's my right not to wear a mask. Fuck you. I'm going to go like threaten you at your job. Oh my God. I didn't hear about anything like that. I did hear about people refusing to wear a mask, refusing to get the vaccine and then rolling up to the hospital doors with COVID and the doctors being like, we're not going to treat you. After a while, they would be like, we're going to put, we're going to give priority to people that have been wearing masks or have been vaccinated because it's not fair like yeah so I heard about cases like that where they kind of got sick of treating these anti-maskers and stuff and they put gave priority to those that had been wearing masks and had been vaccinated yeah so that was happening yeah and a few doctors and nurses died as well unfortunately I know yeah you're just putting so many people at risk by not taking precautions that's so ridiculous so when did you go back to work so they opened up bars and restaurants last I think it was really weird because like a lot of people were working remotely but then were going into the office a couple days a week but then we're doing this shared space meaning like there wasn't as many people in the office so a lot of my friends who have office jobs were doing that and then bars and restaurants were the last to open and you kind of had to it was outdoor seating only in the beginning and because we don't have an outdoor space we didn't open we just stayed closed for a few more months and we were like oh we'll just open in the winter and then I think it was like November that they announced the second lockdown yeah that was it because it was like the weekend before Halloween or something they mentioned the second lockdown and my bar had been open for a weekend and yeah so they were they were hemorrhaging money actually they weren't doing well at all because they'd stayed closed for so long so I think I ended up having a year and a half off yeah I don't think I went back until after Christmas maybe like January or February when everything opened up again after the second lockdown 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how did, how did how did rent and furlough, how did that go? Because here in California, people still had to pay their rent. There's a few like state mandates about, you know, eviction protections. Like you couldn't get evicted, but landlords still expected to be paid, you know, even though like no one's able to work. Yeah, same here, pretty much the same here. I think the only thing landlords did was they, I think they reduced a few people's rent and then they also allowed people to pay rent late. But yeah, you were still expected to pay rent every month. And I was actually looking for an apartment at the time and rent prices had dropped dramatically. Like I live in South London in a pretty central area. And I was looking in Brixton and I was finding one bedrooms for like, 900 pounds to a thousand pounds which is unheard of yeah I'm surprised but the but the thing about it was is I was looking at these places and I was like I know as soon as everything goes back to normal they're going to jack up the rent again so there was no point in me taking that one bedroom for a thousand pounds a month and then you know six months from now they're going to jack it up to 1500 which was out of my budget and then I'd have to move again so yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty much the situation. Okay, so but now like your bar is open, it's full mm-hmm. full time, it's functioning. The bar is actually busier than ever. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, we have been busy post COVID busier than we've ever been. Like every weekend, we're breaking records in sales. We have a line down the block, you know, of people starting at nine thirty sometimes until one a.m. trying to get in. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good for them. Really tiring and stressful for the rest of us, <laughs> but yeah, good for them. <laughs> and then what's what's one of the biggest differences between, say, bartending in the UK, working restaurants in the States? I'm sure there's a lot, but what's what's just the one? The big one, and I think the most important one is the money. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I can remember at Cha 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 making $200 on average a night, you know, on a really busy night, $350, you know, $350 a night. That was back in the day. Yeah, that was back, yeah, in 2008, nine, ten. So they have introduced service here, but it's kind of corrupt. So what they do is they call it trunk. So they charge service to every table automatically, not in every restaurant, but in a lot of restaurants now in London. So they automatically charge a service charge and the customer thinks that's going directly to the server. But no, what happens is it goes into a big pot, which they call trunk, then it's taxed and then it's divvied out among the servers, but it's up to the management's discretion. So at our place, for example, They do it by how many hours you work per week. So say if I work two days per week for four weeks and someone else works four days per week for four weeks, they're going to make double what I make. I don't necessarily think that's fair because I'm working Friday and Saturday nights, the busiest nights. So I think to make that little bit of extra income, you know, helps, you know, it's, it's compensating you know, for me being stressed out and busy and stuff. But anyway, yeah, sorry. So what some managements do, which is really bad, it goes into this big pot called trunk, like I said, and they divvy it out how they want. So I worked in a place that the woman said, you're not going to get the service. You're just going to get nine pounds an hour, meaning I'm going to guarantee you an hourly rate, whether it's really slow or really busy, which is 
stealing from me essentially you know stealing from all the employees especially if you're giving the impression that the service charge is going to that server when it's not you know also and I heard this happen to a few people during lot lots of managers and owners were paying their assistant managers with the service charge so when it came to being furloughed they couldn't claim anything because the way they were being paid wasn't like it wasn't a salary or a wage, if that makes any sense. Mm. Like it was based on service. So because service is not a real income, it's kind of just like, you know, it, it's kind of based on whether you're nice or whether the person wants to tip you or not. Yeah, the government just didn't just didn't pay out those people that were being paid just based on service. So yeah, that was that was kind of upsetting to hear. But yeah, some people are just corrupt like that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. That sucks. That's not cool. I don't like that. So we are really close to ending. And I just wanted to thank you. I'm so happy to see you. We have we should have been doing this a long time ago. I know. When are you gonna come out to California? I'm not sure. I said that I would leave it for four years before I came back to the States again. And it was four years, February 5th just as past February 5th. But there are so many places I want to see in Europe first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was planning to do that, but then lockdown happened and, you know, we're all stuck at home. So I didn't get to see as many places as I wanted to. I mean, I've been to Paris, like we mentioned, and I went to Amsterdam last August. And there were a few more places I want to visit in Europe before I come back to the States because as much as I miss it and you guys, I feel like I would just be going back to visit my friends as opposed to going on vacation. But you guys are welcome here anytime. I just moved into my new studio. Thank you, Bonnie. All the way from London. Even with the time change, we made it work. Thank you again. Uh, happy Black History Month. And once again, a huge shout out to Tom Bullock and the Ideal Bartender. Uh, what sticks in my mind after this interview is that Bonnie had to deal with wage theft in two countries. That is so upsetting to hear. It's obviously illegal, it's against the law, but these bar and restaurant owners keep getting away with it. You hear about it all the time. And you know, Bonnie and millions of other industry employees are doing a really hard job and they should be paid accordingly and not have to worry about what their bosses are doing to their paychecks or having to fight for their wages. You know, treat your employees with dignity and respect and pay them what they are owed. It is not rocket science. Stop fucking with their wages and tips. Un it's unbelievable, unacceptable. And to all of the bar and restaurant owners that have done this to your employees, fuck you. Such bad behavior. And all of your bad behavior and thievery, it's going to come back and get you in the end. It always does. So just remember that. Okay, and on that note, uh, please rate and follow Booze Nation, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also, giving me stars is the best way to help my PCAST. Like five stars is the way to go. So thank you in advance. And remember, please tip your bartenders. Thanks. Thanks.